grain. I was right. obsessed with trash. Here I, I go mentally ill. Doritos bags look mad different. Make out with girls. Shyness is nice and shyness can stop you from doing all the things in life you'd like to. The movie's trash. I love the fucking eye on that. Shyness is nice and shyness can stop you from doing all the things in life you'd like to. You guys are like my best friends. We, we love, love the Iron The internet straight like didn't try. exist, bro. <laughs> There's a whole group of guys who pretend to be making special films. Coyness is nice and coyness can stop you from saying all the things in life you'd like to. <laughs> wow. Ion 2 here. Ion 1 here. This is our conversation with filmmaker Kaveh Zahedi, the greatest artist of our generation. And in many ways, the most Ion artist that there is. He is the most ionized artist that there is, even though ionized. the conversation, we realized he listened to some of our earlier episodes and <laughs> said it was just some dudes shooting the shit. Which it was, but it, you know, he didn't, um, I don't think he, he took in the essence of Ion like the Packers did. But then he said he listened to some more. He listened to some Eugene, some Dasha. And it was about it. And he was like, damn. Um, I also didn't realize that he knew that I was Ion because I kind of know Kaveh in my real life. So that was like, I kind of thought I was surprising him, but he was just like, oh yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> well, because we did a screening with him um, and film screening too. Yeah, he did Psychedelics and I, a live performance. Which, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a live kind of interactive film that he premiered at Ion's Film Screening 2, which, you know, is how he began a, a relationship with Ion. Um, but I guess we're going to, for people who don't know who he is, we're going to do this little intro so you can have some context and, and know a bit more about one of the greatest artists around. Yeah, he's a filmmaker who has made films a little stiff in the bathtub of the world. Uh, I don't hate Las Vegas anymore. The Sheik and I. More recently, the show about the show. More famously, I'm a sex addict. I, I thought you forgot it. Um, I'm, I'm probably missing some other ones in there. Tripping with Cave, getting stoned with Cave. He's made so much shit. Um, but once you kind of get a taste of it, if you're interested, it's they kind of all work together as kind of one body of work i think like when he dies like it's almost as if like he made one big movie he was constantly documenting himself throughout and yeah it's like um most of his work is is, is about the process of of making things and 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 kind of the process of searching for meaning within making art um so if you watch his whole body of work it's like you're along for the the ride with this guy you're like a part of his life and it's very much about like his frustrations with the film industry and the people he meets throughout and like his difficulty in trying to get things made which also becomes kind of the crux of his work which is the difficulty of him trying to make things it becomes a documentation of that struggle yes and it's it's very it but it becomes it's it's even less concrete than that he's he's very skilled at kind of taking uh, maybe concrete frustrations and, and blocks that he has and and kind of uh, explaining the philosophical implication of it um, in a really relatable way. Uh, and with the show about the show, he's willing to kind of blow up a lot of his life in this pursuit of like honesty and 
the pursuit of God and the pursuit of art making, um, he's, he's willing to kind of let a lot of things fall to pieces in that pursuit, which probably wouldn't do myself, but I admire deeply. Yeah. Because, and, and, you know, we talk about this with him, so, uh, I'm not going to go too far into it, but for someone who gets criticized as being, uh, self-involved, it, it, it really, his work is way less self-involved than, than a lot of, than a lot of artists to me, because it, he will do anything in, in pursuit of the art. He, it, it, he, the work really does come first and it, um, he'll let anything happen to make something meaningful. We should also say, cause it didn't get mentioned in the episode that the idea of boyhood kind of came out of his relationship with Richard Linklater, uh, because it is a very cave idea to kind of do a duration piece of filming things over time, which is something that Kavi actually does. I wish I brought this up to him. Yeah, I made a note to bring it up and forgot. He, yeah, he films he films himself for like every hour of the day of his birthday, every year of his life. Like this kind of durational, like coming back to something. Like that idea was something that he's friends with Richard Linklater. Like he, you know, he's very familiar with his work and I think he kind of made that pop for everybody with boyhood and yeah, and speaking of, of Richard Linklater, if you don't know Cave, maybe you do if you've seen Waking Life. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's he's the holy moment segment of Waking Life, which is a great part of that movie. Um the last thing I want to say before we get into the episode is that he really is an inspiration and I think he is sort of like the nucleus of the Ion Way and he kind of has been from the beginning in the sense that he has always kind of been an outsider to an industry and to an art form and sort of like the cool club of that art form that, you know, he tries to be a part of. Um, and a lot of his frustrations and, and the people that he enc has encountered in New York and just in the film world um, is something that he actually, as a person, introduced me to when I first moved to New York um, and that I sort of had similar experiences to him with. Um, just in terms of people's egos getting in the way and yeah, their success sort of masking their friendship or getting in the way of friendship. And I don't know, just his, his view of, of, uh, of people in this world is something that I think pr had a profound impact on me and kind of probably gave birth to a lot of the spirit of early Ion. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's something extremely, I think that his, uh, his worldview and the the kind of his spirituality and the esteem in which he holds art is really something to admire and something that I would encourage uh, anyone listening to this to examine within themselves and uh, and try to take influence from from his perspective. And I, w I think we should give credit to some of like our philosophical musings and just like maybe views on spirituality and like a lot of that at least for me personally comes from him like he's he's sort of like yeah. been a father figure to me creatively and emotionally through my time in new york so this we're really glad we got to do this one and it was heat it was fucking heat it was really all heat it was fucking heat it was like instantly heat which isn't isn't always the case with an ion pod <laughs> definitely not <laughs> sometimes it's like a slow climb to heat yeah. this i think was like full full heat off the bat 
Yeah. No, it, well, it was. I, I think it was. I mean, no, it definitely was. We'll let you, the listener, be the judge. I'd actually love to have him back. I mean, absolutely. Give him a good reception. You already know. You already know. Big shouts. Big shouts. All right, so we've got Kave Zahedi on the podcast. Kave, welcome to the pod. This hello, is, hello. <laughs> this has been the one we've been looking forward to. I got to take this off. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Um, we've been looking forward to this for a while. Um, and the Packers have been too. Yeah, the people who listen to the podcast or have been following us um, have been have been really wanting this one. Fans of yours via our prodding. I think I think we we talk about you a lot. We talk about your films a lot, um, but without actually having your voice be a part of it. So this is a loud street, huh? It is pretty loud. <laughs> right. Well, usually we don't. We're, usually we're not here during the day, so oh. I kind of, uh, I kind yeah, of forgot only, how loud. We've only ever done these at night. Do you know what your numbers are on the podcast? What our numbers are? Um, I don't well, know. actually, not really now that it's Patreon. I don't really know. I know when oh, there's... Oh, you know what your Patreon numbers are, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's just some people listening. Okay. <laughs> we it wasn't, we didn't really want to do it at first, um, but people, you know, picked up on it. and We've been really enjoying your daily podcast. Oh, thank you. Yeah, a lot, um, which maybe you should you should plug in case people listening don't know it. I can't plug things. Kave's got a new podcast where he releases a, like a short episode every day of this year, 2021. That's sort of like a different story from his life. It's very, very classic Kave format. Um, little insights and maxims and lessons to be learned. Maxims. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, like uh, they're they're like fables. Yeah, uh, that's what they feel like. There's a Frank Black song. He says, some say it's the truth. Some say it's a fable. Do you know that song? Is oh, it Pixies oh yeah. or Frank Solo? Solo. Yeah. Oh, I, Black Dawning? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was some, actually, your new podcast led me to an old podcast of yours, The Awkward Celebrity Encounters, uh-huh. which I hadn't listened to in a while. And there was one thing that I definitely wanted to bring up, which was the Stan Brackage episode. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And you mentioned kind of like a, a tussle or a fight you had with Jonas Mikas uh-huh. about something. And you kind of lashing out maybe over email to Stan Brackage. About, this is before email. Or, yeah, that was like a, a, was a letter. A letter. <laughs> with oh, a wow, stamp. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you say something to the effect of, you know, you guys are like the mafia. Like there's, there's like, you guys are like Hollywood too. Like there's like an inclusiveness or like a, a Hollywoodness to this experimental film world, which was something that like maybe we connected to, or like we kind of notice a lot about the oh, film world. Oh, like in a bad way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Because I feel like maybe the kind of uh, power structures behind, uh, you know, Hollywood or anything on a larger, more mainstream scale are kind of, maybe inherently human. So as soon as you get any kind of uh, group of people in any kind of way, they just kind of replicate. Do you find that to be true? Yeah, yeah. I agree with myself. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, have you experienced that just even in like the insular, like New York film world? Yeah, I mean, I was in San Francisco before for 10 years and that had its own scene and its own kind of like insularness. And it was kind of like a small pond 
and it was just small enough that you would get mad at everybody in the pond at a certain point yeah. mm-hmm. and feel really mad and angry and bitter. And what I like about New York is it's just a bigger pond. So if you get mad at a bunch of people, right. there's other places you can go. Yeah. And yeah. you can make other friend groups. Um, but yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it's always like, you know, the person right above you is the one you kind of envy and mm-hmm. detest. Yeah. And yeah. I'm sure there are people who feel that way about me, you know, like uh, they want to like get in with me and my crowd. I mean, I don't feel like I have a crowd, <laughs> but I think people probably think I do. I think you do. I mean, I've, I've, been, I've recognized that like we've met a lot of people in New York and when you find the people that know Kaveh or like know the show yeah. about the show, maybe as an entrance point, yeah. like everyone is obsessed. Like everyone's seen most of your movies. Like there's, there's very few people, like they either know you or they don't basically. And I've, I have noticed a trend in like younger people being attracted to your work. Have you, have you felt that? Yeah, for sure. But when you say crowd, you mean like uh, people who like my work, not people who hang out with me. Well, I think there's like a, a scene associated with the cave world that maybe might not be like your crowd. Maybe it's not like like you, friend group or something, but people who are influenced by uh-huh. Kaveh, you mean? Yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's like a lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking to Tom Krell, How to Dress Well, and like we were surprised like he knew your work and was uh-huh. like obsessed with the work. And that was really cool because like he's a musician that we grew up like listening to. And oh. he's like a cave head, which I was like, that's so cool. It makes sense. Um, it's usually people who are kind of like philosophically engaged on some level in art um, or have like this obsessive tendency to want to make make art. Um, people who are into your stuff are not casual lovers of art. They're exactly. people who are obsessive. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, and people who I think you kind of, um, you know, maybe maybe not the right word, but empower people. You feel you make people feel like they feel more comfortable uh, being, you know, fanboys and uh um really kind of obsessing and 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 wanting to get to the root of what makes the things they love lovable it it makes people feel like they have to put less of a kind of too cool for school air on yeah yeah which i think is um which is a great thing and that's something we talk about a lot um especially we've learned from talking to people doing this podcast that I think it's pro- most people probably don't want to be that have that kind of uh, ironic distance from things, but they feel subconsciously like they should. And it's actually quite easy to break it down in someone by just not being like that. Yeah. And and then when you start not being like that, people open up very easily and it's really kind of amazing. And I, my point being is I think that your work brings that out uh, in people pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, that's kind of the point of the work. Right. Um, and do you find that that happens when, when you're actually engaging with people on a personal level too? Because you're very kind of upfront uh, when you meet someone who you uh, admire or just someone else who makes art. It's snowing. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> um, I think I'm probably more defended and scared and uptight in person than in my films you know like i think right. um i mean i aspire to the that quality that's in my films but i think i don't know i think most people when they meet me they're a little they don't feel loved by me as a person <laughs> but they feel loved by the work right yeah right have you uh, 
what what do you think uh <laughs> what do you think causes that oh just like um I, don't know, I i i guess i'm just shy right you know like when you when you meet somebody you're engaged in a kind of very complex dance mm-hmm. and um you're worrying about what they're thinking about you and and what and what they're thinking that you're thinking about them mm-hmm. and it just gets very uh like you're implicated in it in a way that sort of is a little paralyzing and a little complicated right. whereas when you make a film or a performance you can really just you're not having to deal with that dimension of that right it's just uh it's abstracted and it's i don't know it's um it's not two way yeah it's one way yeah yeah it's why people like movies is because it's one way mm-hmm. and they can just don't have to worry about how the the film they don't have to like at a party you're worried about the person thinks of you in a movie you don't worry about what the movie thinks of you yeah so you yeah, can yeah. just sort of surrender and open up and just like let it in you can mm-hmm. be receptive right whereas um people like i'm not i'm not usually receptive uh when i meet somebody right and um i mean i wish i was you know if i'm if i'm on drugs i might be <laughs> but you know usually i'm just uh i got my insecurities or thoughts or whatever right do you think your work in particular maybe holds a mirror up to the viewer more than than most is that a goal of yours yeah for sure i mean i would hope so i mean i think in in the absence of other qualities in my work yeah that would be the one <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> right well i something i think is interesting about your films is that they're almost where the kind of visual aspect of them is maybe not even the in the forefront. It's, it's far far down the list. Yeah, it, it feels more like that's why the, your podcast is is interesting because it that how much that medium works for you as something that's a completely not visual medium. Right. But I really think you are kind of a maybe more of a storyteller than even a filmmaker, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, unfortunately. Well, I don't think it's unfortunate at all. I think it's, uh, I think it's what makes people connect with what you do in a different way than even other kind of personal documentary films. Uh-huh. Yeah, that term storyteller, you know, gets a lot of overuse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's almost nauseating as a term now. <laughs> but <laughs> Maybe not the best term, but... Uh, but but I, but I think it is a key thing. I mean, it's like, I, I really think that what we are is stories, you know, yeah. we're stories we tell ourselves and we're stories we tell other people about ourselves or about the world around them. And everyone just has these like narratives in their minds that are pretty unexamined. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, there's this thing called narrative therapy. Have you heard of this? No. It's basically th- therapy, but the whole idea is like to sort of uh, deconstruct the stories that you're telling yourself about stuff. And it's almost, almost every problem, you know, this guy, Bill McKibben, is that his name? The designer? He says, every problem in the world is a design problem. Like, you could fix everything if you just redesigned it so that things flowed in the right direction, you know? Like, he says, for example, like, uh, uh, playgrounds, like, the kids, like, lick the rubber on the playgrounds, and it's, you know, it's got toxins in it because it's made out of, you know, rubber (laughs) or whatever, industrial rubber. Mm -hmm. But he said, what if we made them out of, like, uh, vitamins, you know? Then they could lick the playground and they would get nutrition. You know, like yeah. it's like a design flaw. Right, right. So the problem is not them licking it. Right. Yeah. They're going to lick it no matter what. Just don't put toxic chemicals where their tongues are, yeah. you know? 
And in the same way, what was I talking about? <laughs> you're talking about like the uh, narrative therapy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Almost every problem you're having, I find, is a problem of a story you're telling yourself that's actually inaccurate. Right. And mm -hmm. makes you feel bad about yourself. Right, right. And yeah. it's, you know, some story about, you know, someone hates me or um, failure or whatever the story is. It's just not true. Yeah. And so they're just, that whole therapy is just like, let's look at the story that's causing you suffering and let's see where it's not true. Where we could just change one little part of the story and suddenly you're fine, you know? And it's often like, this is what's nice about thought is it's just, it's just a thought. Everything is a thought. Yeah. And you have this different thought, like just one thought changes. And this is what's great about art. Like sometimes you just have one idea. I, I once saw this movie by um, uh, Yvonne Rainier and I think it was called Privilege. I didn't, I didn't love this movie or anything, but in it, somebody said the sentence, which was artists are resourceful. And I just was like, oh yeah, artists are resourceful. That's what they are. And then it suddenly it was like, okay, if I have a problem, I'm an artist, I can just be resourceful. Like it just unblocked something in me that was very helpful. Yeah. Right. And just like so much of art is just like, you get a thought from it that you mm. didn't have before. And that thought just makes your life better. Right. So in that sense, I'm a storyteller, sure, but everyone is. And I guess I'm just maybe telling a story of, of, um, of uh, freedom from guilt. Yeah. That is healing and takes the, takes the pressure off that we, that we all give ourselves, including right. me. Right. Well, so if you're defining art in that way, then it sounds like you're very successful, even though you're someone who is very critical of yourself and talks about your failures a lot. Um, if you're trying to give someone something and that's the kind of goal of the film, then wouldn't you say that your films are huge successes? Well, I wouldn't say that, but a lot of people don't accept the gift, you know, yeah, they're yeah, like, yeah. I don't like your gift. <laughs> I don't right. want your gift. Your, your wrapping paper is ugly. And uh, no, thank you. Right. I think an interesting thing to talk about in terms like, you know, you're saying maybe you're not a, a filmmaker because I, I'm, I'm very attracted to your first movie, A Little Stiff. And you're like that. I'm always interested in people's first works because it feels like the most raw or maybe like the most unsure. Like there's, the mistakes or the the parts that aren't perfect feel interesting to me, mm -hmm. um, and that's a narrative. I mean, that's a. I mean, it's based off of your life or mm -hmm. an experience you had. Um, but it's interesting to me because I think after that you you veered into your what your style is now, um, and I know that you have aspirations to make movies that maybe aren't like that. Mm -hmm. I was curious where you're at with like if you want to make a fiction feature again or. I do. I, I'm still trying. I'm, I'm always trying. I just, you know, I, I, as, as I, as I get older or whatever, like I've, I've noticed that it's like, um, it's so easy to get like discouraged by, uh, rejection or mm -hmm. by indifference. Yeah. And it's so easy to get sidetracked. Even like if I don't work on something for like a day, I just have no connection to it anymore. Right. I was like, what yeah. was that project I was yep. working on yesterday yeah. that I thought was so great? Uh, I don't even know what it's called anymore. Um, so there is a kind of like momentum element right. and also a collaborative element. Like if there are people who are saying, Kave, <laughs> when are you going to turn this in or, you know, hurry up, then I, then I'm just feel, I don't know, motivated. Yeah. Right. Otherwise I just get sideswiped yeah. by every demand. Right. Yeah. I think that's why it's easy. Like once you have a kind of fan base in my mind, it's probably easier to just get uh, to work faster. 
if there's a more of a demand? Yeah, probably. Um, I think there's a demand on the show. Like, I think people are like, oh, when's yeah. the new season of the, the show? show about the, the show? show? Yeah. Yeah, although, you know, Aziz quit Brick. Yeah. Oh. And so they're not funding season three. Oh, so it's, where is it? Where is it? It at? has no home. Right. So it's oh. an orphan show now. Right. And I'm looking for a home for it. But in the absence of a home, I'm just kind of not quite as motivated. Yeah. To, to work on it but it's fin- you've finished it or like it exists or no or you have to shoot it you have to do everything uh, I mean I've like I'm like uh, I've been working on it for over a year right but there's still at least a year Left. of work to do right mm. and you know each day you know I decide am I going to work on this or, the, or these other projects that are also competing for my attention right and I, I end up working on the ones that there are other people involved in right yeah that's where the motivation comes is when there's, yeah. yeah, the momentum is so much of it. Yeah. Do you think it's healthy to just kind of follow that momentum or should you? I do. Yeah. So I think, I. I think that's kind of God. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. God speaking to you. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, what we, us doing this pod is something that we didn't want to do, Yeah. but then it kind of had a reaction which then motivated me to work more on it because I liked that it was doing things doing something for people that weren't myself and then yeah. it made everything I also do everything else I do feel more not selfish but it just was like uh, I, I had no audience in mind in comparison so it felt less rewarding you know what I mean mm-hmm. even though there are other things that I do are kind of technically more uh, you know passion I'm more passionate about in, mm-hmm. in some way but it, it it's different it, it's different because you're yeah your passion kind of shifts with uh, the reaction and the demand and and yeah it, it, I do think it's a kind of holy thing it's a you know I'm following some type of uh, thread that's been laid out for me or some type of a uh, rope that's been thrown to me to like find meaning in some other way you know what I mean yeah yeah do you think that that thread for you has taken you down documentary and into tv into in, like into those sort of films rather than a draw like a narrative drama for a reason yeah i mean i think i'm exactly where god wants me yeah which is not where i want me yeah you know so i'm squirming the whole way right. but yeah. it's like okay yeah i guess this is where i'm supposed to be right now talking to you guys <laughs> yeah I, no how did you feel before just even going into today like did you did you feel uh pressure to come or did you not want to come or well i listened to a little bit of it like once a long time ago and I didn't like it. Yeah. Which one was it? <laughs> I don't remember, but yeah. it was just, it just, I kind of have this uh, allergy towards what I would uh, reduce to uh, guys hanging out, talking, yeah. making jokes in their mm-hmm. living room, maybe stoned, maybe drunk. Right. You know, there's a genre of podcasts yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. And I think there was a little bit of that kind of energy in the little bit that I heard. Yeah. <laughs> so I wasn't like eager Right. To do it. It didn't feel like my, it didn't feel like my frequency. Right. You know? And, um, and you sort of kept, you know, badgering me. Yeah. And, you know, out of my affection for you. Yeah. And, you know, and various things. And I kind of COVID gave me an excuse to sort of punt a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the podcast kind of gave me uh, another reason to maybe I, I should do it. Right. Because I feel some obligation to try to promote that a little bit. Yeah. Um, but then just today, just because it was the first time I had, the motivation to listen again. Right. I listened to two things and I, I like them both. Mm. So by the time I walked in here, 
I was feeling pretty good about it. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. we've, de- we've definitely developed out of like, you know, just shooting the shit into like uh, having yeah. real, realer conversations. Um, but I do think there is a, obviously a very casual element because we're not, you know, journalists or interviewers. Yeah. Uh, but that's what I like about it because I would rather hear a conversation. Personally, I would rather hear a conversation between, you know, artists than, than a kind of very direct, like one way interview. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah but but you know interestingly like you guys are both i think people who aren't or even anti the kind of hipsterism Mm -mm. and yet the the podcast felt kind of hipstery to me so there's like a a weird double-edged sword we're 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 definitely hipsters (laughs) i mean i'm I'm i am a born and bred hipster (laughs) since i was a young kid yeah you look like a hipster yeah (laughs) but 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 so so are you i'm I don't think of myself as a hipster. Well, when you were younger, you definitely were. I was never a hipster because I was never... Um, the guy in a little stiff is a hipster. No, he's not. <laughs> he he's a maladjusted out, outsider. Well, that, that's a hipster sometimes. But, but like, I always think of hipsters as people who like um, other people think are cool. Right. I was never that. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Maybe it has the veneer of that. I, I do think of ourselves as people who feel outside of the industries of cool people that we wish we were a part of, but we're not. Uh, Yeah. I, I, it's it's interesting to hear you say that because I don't, I've never thought of myself as cool in any way. Really, It's a great, it's a great reflection though. Yeah. It's like Kaveh thought we were hipsters, (laughs) (laughs) but like we've always felt like, like outsiders to the stuff that we love. And I think that connects us to your work because Mm -hmm. yeah, like in the show about the show, like for example, when you are talking to Jake Perlin at Metrograph mm-hmm. about doing a retrospective of your work, mm-hmm. like I, even though like I have no retrospective of work to ask Jake Perlin to show, I relate to the dynamic of yeah. you talking to someone who is in some gatekeeping position mm-hmm. of power mm-hmm. and having them more or less not take you that seriously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah, a hipster, I think, would say. Yeah, we'll show your film. Like uh, they would show the hipsters' film. I right. think. Yes, exactly. Well, because like, I, I remember, like they just done a Josh Safdie retrospective. Yeah, right. When I asked him that, and I think I'd been introduced to him by Josh. Mm-hmm. So I was like, maybe by association, right. I have yeah, some yeah. cred. Right. But I didn't. Right. Uh, but Josh did. Right. Um, and you know, I don't think of Josh really as a hipster either. Mm-hmm. He's he's just like a talented. Yeah, he's a he's a hustler. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> he's definitely a hustler. Um, but yeah, you were at Sundance when the mm-hmm. uh, show played there yeah. and there was that party. Were you at the party? I think so. Yeah. And like, uh, Jake Perlin, I just, he was there, yeah. but I, f- I just forgot to invite him to the party. And afterwards <laughs> he found out about the party and he, his feelings were hurt that I didn't invite him to the party. Jake? Jake Perlin. Yeah. As if, <laughs> you know. As if you owed him the <laughs> invitation. Well, Did I, you? I would have gladly invited him. I just didn't, just didn't think of it. Yeah. yeah. But just the way that the the story in the show is inverted right at the Sundance episode. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's really funny. I liked I liked that. Right. I, and we can cut this out if you want to, but and we'll see if it if, if you'd even talk about it. But I always found it interesting that Josh was one of the few people who actually was removed from the narrative of the show about the show. I was like, wow, he's the one person who we you really can't talk about. Yeah, it's true. What what happened? <laughs> what happened in there? Yeah. Well, well, so he just, it's all in the show. Yeah. It's just that I just don't say who it is. Yeah. Right. But, you know, he, as a favor, really, to her yeah. and and to me, he just said, you know, I know this actress who, you know, is comfortable with nudity. If you're ever looking for someone, she's, 
yeah. good actress and she's available available yeah and i just you know i wasn't looking for anybody so i just you know registered it right and then i don't know why i brought that up in the show but um she was like very upset right. and very upset with him for saying that yeah but I, I thought it was a pretty innocent thing for him to say. Yeah. And I thought her upsetness was kind of a little disproportionate to the crime. Right. Yeah. But um, he was mad at me for basically um, saying something that made her mad at him. Right. And, you know, he had a, I mean, he seems to have some kind of moral code that is not my moral code. And from which my moral code to him seems uh, immoral. Right. <laughs> Um, you know, and I, I'm sure I could think of plenty of things that he's done or is doing that I could say the same thing to him about, but yeah. I'm not a moralist, you know, so I'm like, I'm totally fine with his moral code, Yeah, but he's not fine with mine, I guess. Right. And I just felt like. But you were, you, th that's what's interesting. And you talk, you've talked, I think you talked about on like this brick interview about like people can have their own set of ethics. Like that sort of is your ethical worldview that like people's ideas of what's right and wrong are different. And it's just interesting that you did respect, like he clearly had a problem with something that you were doing and you respected his, his, his code. Oh, he would say I did not respect his code. Right. Because I actually talk about it in right. the show and I just blurred his face and didn't But you don't his mention name. his name. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we but, can take it out if you want. Yeah. But, uh, I, don't know. I think it's good though. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Because I think it's, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Right. And it's like an absurd thing to be. We've experienced some of that with yeah. Josh as well, uh -huh. <laughs> which is interesting. Uh, it was just interesting that he was like the one person, because like your show is about honesty and like right. everyone is subjected to this, like right. being humiliated right. through their faults. And I was like, wow, Josh, somehow, somehow he's the one guy who got out of it. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it's impressive, honestly. Uh-huh. Something that I think is um, particularly warm about all of your work is that it really, I think if you if you truly watch it, these films for what they are, you would be less self-conscious. You, like, you, me, or you? Like anyone. the viewer uh -huh. would be less self-conscious. To me, your work is like um, basically showing like, no, look, like, don't you relate to this? See how not a big deal this is? Mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm. it really is warm in that way to me. Um, and it, clearly it's maybe not everyone gets that out of it because people are still kind of afraid of, um, I don't know, maybe it's they're afraid of how being honest can affect their career or their friendships or, or, or you know, just their perception as an artist or... I, I don't know. It's interesting because for me, it just for me, I the older I get, the more that kind of breaks down for me, and the more I kind of feel like, who cares? Like yeah. if you just are honest, most people are like, oh, I'll do the same thing because we're all pretty similar at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, but you 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 have a lot of experiences yeah. where people don't re reciprocate that. That's honestly. what I'm trying to say. <clears throat> yeah. And like, there's a moment with Dustin Guy Defay on the Sundance thing where he, where you're sort of revealing his. There's like a Chloe Sevigny thing happening, and he's a, he's kind of focused on his movie, and he doesn't want to give you the lines for your show. Josh doesn't want to be in, in the show and talked about. Um, 
there's a thing with Greta Gerwig and with the awkward celebrity encounters where she was like doing a PhD or a dissertation on you and now won't return your yeah. your emails. <laughs> and there's just like this trend of people becoming popular and famous yeah. and then not being as interested. And yeah. I wondered if you could comment on that experience in the film world. Well, I mean, it's it's uh you know it's always just demoralizing yeah. when you someone seems to be your friend or 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 like you. And then they won't talk to you because they're more famous than you are. Right. Um, and it makes you wonder what they liked to begin with, you know, yeah. if that's, if it's that, if it's that thin, but, um, but I also understand it. Like, it's like everyone feels like they're not good enough. Everyone's not happy with who they are or where they're at yeah. with their life, a lot in life. And the more you get, almost the more you want, it's almost like inversely proportional Right. Yeah. And the greedier you get. Yeah. And I understand wanting to climb. I mean, yeah. I want to climb too. Yeah. Um, so and I understand like I don't know, also like like Lena Dunham, this mm-hmm. also happened with mm-hmm. you know, like I can't I can't get her can't get a hold of her. Yeah. But you know, she was She loves you. She, she did. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say she does anymore because if she did, you would think there would be a certain <laughs> signs of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, her work is very indebted to you, I think, it a lot, or it feels in the spirit of yeah, comedy. Yeah, there's something similar on some levels. But, like, I don't know, she probably has, like, I don't know, Brad Pitt <laughs> and Ajahn Jolie and um, yeah. Miranda July and yeah, yeah. Um, and Hillary Clinton <laughs> are all, like, calling her right. or right. and saying, hey, do you want to have dinner tonight? Yeah. yeah. And then I'm here sending an email and just in the hierarchy of of desires, right. it's just low. Yeah, and, you know. And if she was alone, w- waiting to go to the bathroom yeah. at a party, and it was just me and her, I'm sure we would have a Comfort, friendly yeah. talk. Yeah, <laughs> but there's no room for it. And and there are people that I'm like that with too. Yeah, where it's just like, I like you, but not that much. Right. And you know, I'm happy to talk to you if it's not too inconvenient. Um, do you think uh, there's something wrong with that do you think there's something wrong with the climb that maybe disconnects you from people not you specifically or or, and not disconnects you from people but disconnects you from what you love about art and why you're even doing it like clearly there was something about your work that spoke to these people when they were still you know very raw and fresh and and figuring out their you know voice and and what they wanted to do and what they loved about film and all this uh, that maybe they've forgotten now via success I don't know. It's also like, I don't like, like Morrissey, right? Yeah. There's a guy, he was so connected yeah. to like the, the real deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and look what happened to him. And you see it, you can chart it along with his records, you know, hairdressers yeah. on fire, still a great song, but it's about your hairdresser, you know, yeah. instead of about, you know, rejection or, you yeah. know, lovesickness. Yeah. And then you keep going along and you're like, what is he saying? Like, mm-hmm. don't hear the last one. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, stop complaining about killing yourself. Just do it. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's like, well, that's funny, I guess. Yeah. But where? what happened to the empathy? Right. You know, yeah. that joke yeah. isn't sad anymore. Right. Yeah. Or that joke isn't funny anymore, rather. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, what, what happened to that guy? Yeah. Um, and I think people just get new concerns and new resentments and new, and new problems. Yeah. And I don't know, whatever problems, let's say Greta Gerwig is dealing with now, which I'm sure are complex, Mm-hmm. and evolving mm-hmm. probably aren't addressed by the concerns in my work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, right. uh, you know, it's like, um, I don't know. It's just like, uh, 
it's like an ex-girlfriend. Like you, you were into her, but now you're not. Yeah, right. You're into some other stuff now or someone else. Right. But it almost feels like there's some, there is something maybe corrosive about like career obsession because it's yeah. not work obsession. It's like your place in society or culture. Like I have friends who, who have made movies that are getting into festivals and stuff. And it's just interesting. It's like I can communicate more with the people who aren't. Like right. the people who are less feeling less success are more accessible and you can have a rich time with them. Whereas these other people are kind of far off. You can't get a hold of them. And it's just interesting. It's not necessarily bad, but sometimes it, you know, you talk to other people like, have you heard from this guy? And it's, no one's heard from that guy. Right. They're really focused on their thing. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't believe in being moralistic or judgmental. So I don't, I don't want to say like, oh, it's bad to be that way. It's, yeah. it's actually almost impossible not to be that way. Yeah in our society. Yeah. So, you know, and I'm sure all those people, you know, Lena, Greta, everybody, I'm sure they're all taking countermeasures in themselves to fight those tendencies and those elements, you know? Right. right. And, you know, a lot of it's just like, one thing, you know, I'm not very famous, but to the extent that I have sometimes had a little more success, I've noticed how much busier I get yeah. and how much more stuff is getting mm -hmm. thrown at me. Yeah. I remember once Alexander Payne, who I, I know from film school, mm -hmm. I was at a, uh, he had just done Sideways. It was like the biggest movie in the world. And everybody was like, you know, just laying a red carpet in front of him and like bowing down and, you know, kissing his feet. Yeah. And I remember I was having dinner with him at a festival in the Czech Republic. And he was just really unhappy and bitter and resentful. Mm -hmm. And he was like, everybody always wants something. And all I ever do is people are like, give me this, give me this, give me this. Can you do this for me? This for me? And I was just like, Alexander, what are you talking about? You're on top of the world. You're you're rich. You you're famous. Yeah. You're loved. And all you can think about is like, people are like trying to get, take things from you. Right. But also, I wasn't in his shoes. I'm sure he's right. Right. He was had a hundred fucking requests the day. You know, could you please watch my movie? Could you please talk at this yeah. thing? Could you please do this charity thing? And I, I can imagine like it must be really, really hard. And I think even like me who tries to really like treat everybody like a, a son of God, you mm -hmm. know, and uh, a person as e equal to me, right. you know, I, I end up like not getting back to everybody, not out of, you know, judgment or like I'm hierarchy, but just out of like, I'm just can't keep up. Right. And so, and you know, and if, and if I don't know, if, uh, if Joe Biden sent me an email I probably wouldn't forget to get back to him. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Right. Well, that you say something you say sometimes is that you think that failure is more spiritualizing than success. Uh -huh. And I was just wondering where you're at with that idea now. Because obviously success feels better, but Yeah. But success just stokes your ego. Yeah. And it takes you farther from God. Right. Well failure it, takes you closer to God. Yeah. So do you feel like you're where where are you right now? Are you in the failure <laughs> success? Well, it's always a weird mix, but I think I, I don't know. I feel like this is probably just a story I tell myself to feel okay about myself. Mm -hmm. But I kind of felt like I made a deal with God on some level, and or or God made it, or God made some kind of thing where He's like, I'm not going to let you get successful until you don't need it anymore, and it's not going to like make you an egomaniac. Right. And like when you can do that. You can have whatever you want. Until then, no. Yeah. And so I'm always like, just get to a place where I don't need it anymore and then it'll happen. And I, and I kind of believe that's true in a way. I mean, I don't know how to explain 
people who are egomaniacal and successful. I don't, I don't know how to explain that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems like there is some kind of inverse law of spirituality. Right. Where you get what you need and if you and if it's going to like hurt you spiritually, you actually don't get it. Right. Right. Well, it's interesting that you said you talking about bitterness um because I cuz so I watched Sheik and I and then I watched uh I don't hate Las Vegas anymore and it was interesting to realize that in that entire gap you still seemed equally the optimist and you weren't uh bitter or uh you didn't even have more of a guard up really you still seemed as a hundred percent kind of in search of some type of sublime through what you were doing and that that goal was never deterred over that entire that entire span and and no matter what you know you've been up against in the kind of industry uh in that entire span of time you didn't seem didn't seem to make you bitter or uh kill any kind of spark if you will uh which was really interesting to me because not a lot of people as we just said can maintain that kind of hope and spark and uh and and a kind of belief in in the work over that long of a career yeah i mean I definitely suffer from bitterness. As anyone does, right. Yeah. And I, and I think one of the things that someone has said once about the Sheik and I that kind of hurts, because I think it's probably true, is that that film is a little bitter. <laughs> I, I didn't think so. Well, I'm a little mad. Like the tone of that camera dress is a little mad. Right, right. I'm a little indignant. But you seem, you seem indignant and angry at the kind of systems that block yeah. things from being um as spiritual and fulfilling as they could be you don't seem kind of uh like it's it seems to be a a bitterness towards a larger kind of structural societal problem not even something within the film industry or the art world or whatever it's a dignified anger yes yeah i find yeah yeah that's true but i still think like there's a more evolved stance than that one that i aspire to um but, you know, I think there's also something about feeling like you've made good work, which I feel, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's right or not, I feel it, uh, that makes you kind of like, um, I don't know, more confident or more at peace, you know? Mm-hmm. Like maybe if I thought all my films were bad, I would be more bitter. Right. And I would have less faith. And you, you like all of your films. Like, I love my films. Yeah. I just love them. Your podcast from today talks about hitting the line when, when you're playing tennis, like the ball hitting the line and the sublime feeling that comes from that. And it does feel like every time you've made something and felt good about releasing it, it does, like I'm like, Cave feels that it hit the line here. Yeah, I do. <laughs> which is great, which I feel like it's, it's, you can't say that from almost anybody's body of work. Like there's there's some misses in there or like something got messed up. There's a compromise made. And I think maybe at the level that you're making movies that in a bit, like there's, you've protected not having to compromise a lot, which I think is special. And I think most people, as they maybe get more successful and there's more money involved, there's more compromises involved, which is why the work suffers. Right. And maybe if I'd been more successful, I would have compromised more too. Yeah. You know, or maybe that's the, the the cost of success is compromise. And, you know, maybe I just never wanted to pay that cost. Yeah. But also, 
you know, I could say, oh, I'm such a moral guy. I'm, I don't compromise. But it's also just a personality thing. Like, I just can't stand it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's arguably a kind of immaturity or a kind of, you know, infantile. <laughs> like stubbornness. Re- yeah. Right. Refusal of, of reality and interpersonal reality, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I, I don't know if there's any merit in it. I just know that it kills me to do it. Yeah. And I'd rather have, you know, whatever version of, of success I have now and a sense of, you know, integrity, you know, personal integrity to, right. to myself. Right. Then, um, that other thing, which, which just feels worse. Yeah. Yeah. To me. Yeah. Well, I, well, again, it's the Morrissey thing that you bring up of, um, your concerns become different as you become more successful. And and it's not just success. I guess it's obviously it could be your concerns become different as you get older and your life circumstances change, whatever. But I feel you have a kind of spiritual, uh, goal in everything you do. And, and that is kind of, inherently you know pure for lack of a better word so if if you don't lose that spirituality the work doesn't suffer and maybe that's what a lot of people lose the kind of uh wonder of the sublime and like the reason why they're even doing what they do yeah i think most people aren't on a spiritual path really yeah or they're not serious about it right Right. i agree and so i don't know why i am serious about it but i am Mm -hmm. you know I, i can tell that i am yeah yeah and I think a lot of my drug stuff is, I mean, a lot of it comes from my drug stuff. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't know, I don't think I was before the drug stuff. Yeah. But the drug stuff always reminds me of it mm-hmm. and feels like home base, you know, right. like, yeah. okay, this is not about me. It's about something much bigger. Right. right. So, and that's a, it's a great gift. I don't know how I got that. I think I, I probably earned that in a previous lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm, you know, I'm grateful to, whatever past life I had (laughs) that gave me that. Um, but, um, but yeah, I I am serious about it and I'm, and I'm trying and, and, and I think, I mean, I think we all are really, but a lot of us aren't, are more focused on some kind of ego trip than, than that. I Yeah. Yeah. I think that you, it's funny because uh, you definitely get criticized for being an egotist yeah. in, in a lot of ways, but I feel like you you see people and have faith in people more than than most people. I think uh, in that way, it's actually way less, your work is way less egotistical than most things. Yeah, I think so too, but I think it appears more egotistical. Right. Yeah. Because it's you doing a kind of dress. Like yeah, because people, people have such a limited, narrow notion of, of I, what ego is and what spirituality right. I, is. I, I, I totally agree. We've talked about this before, the kind of the way that uh, self-indulgent gets thrown around as a criticism, whereas, but that term is not even really being uh, engaged with. And how I, I've talked about how I think the people who are described as humble are oftentimes the most self-absorbed in a negative way. People that I've ever met, and I yeah, I think the kind of way that self-absorption is looked at in art is very skewed for the most part. Yeah, and in film, it's weirdly, it's there are different sets of rules for film than for like literature, right? Like, you know, nobody has a problem with Nausgaard or Proust. Right. But, or almost any poet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yet people have a huge problem with you making a film by yourself. Right. Unless you fit certain categories. Right. And, yeah. and unless, you know, you've really, you know, attained nirvana, you, that's how you relate to the world is through your own experience and, and how different things have affected you. That's how you see others based on your own experience. And it's, uh, 
it's a necessary thing to be to be warm and and um, open to people. I think to be that kind of um, to be that to think about yourself that much is actually a way to connect with people greater. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know how other people do it. I mean, do they not think about themselves? That, I, I, right, <laughs> I have the same. They thought. must. They yeah. must be lying. Right. Because who walks around thinking about other people all the time? Right. Nobody. Not Gandhi. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm saying. If you want to relate to a person's uh, plight or what they're trying to say, you do that through uh, your own experience and how you've experienced the world and things that you, you have to go inside yourself to relate to other people. So I think uh, in that way, a kind of self-absorption, if you could even call it that, is, is, a, is a healthy thing. Yeah, I I, um, I took an African drumming class once, and remember the teacher was saying like, if you're, you got to learn the beat that you're doing, and you got to not lose it, so you got to stay with your own beat. Right. But you also have to hear the other person's beat and be receptive to it because you can't just do your thing, yeah. regardless of what they're doing. You have to do it in sync with them. Mm -hmm. right. But if you listen to their thing too hard, you lose your beat. Yeah. And it's this process, you know, as a beginner at least, right. of constantly like losing your own beat because you're listening too hard. Right. Or then losing their beat because you're trying to yeah. stay in your beat. Right. And that little balance that's so hard to find, so, uh, you know, ineffable and intangible of, you know, and you're always losing it, mm -hmm. seems to me like the proper balance between self and other. Right. Which we're always failing to capture yeah. and losing. And sometimes I'm a little too self-absorbed, sometimes a little too receptive. Yeah. And if I'm too receptive, like I, I lose my own thing, which I need, you know? Yeah. And I become decentered and I become crazy. Right. But if I'm too in like what I need, what I need, I'm not sensitive to you. And so it's just a, a, a delicate dance that we're always trying to find interpersonally and cinematically too. Yeah. And but you need a certain amount of me for that to work yeah. properly and, and right. not and not trying to hold back because you feel like it's what you're supposed to do or something right and and the, the drumming example you bring up is is interesting because i when i was in college i was in a a free jazz ensemble and it was really interesting to me how much i learned not only philosophically but as a music and as a musician everything from that where there's no score there's no key it's not in the you're not playing with other people in the same way as any other music ensemble and through that I became a much better listener as a musician, but I think that can apply in lots of ways. You still have to contribute. You're still playing an instrument. You're, you're, you have to add, and you want to add to this song that's being created, but you're not, there's no narrative in your head because you're not following a, a staff. You're not following a piece. Yeah, it's you're, you're, you're listening and going off of what you hear. So you are thinking about yourself because you have to be a part of it. But, when you're not following a script, you become a, a much better listener. Yeah, yeah, I and really, a better contributor. Yeah, I really, I really love that Blake quote about better to suffocate a baby in its crib than to not than to nurse an unfulfilled desire or unexpressed desire. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I really think desire is 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 holy. Yeah. And I think one of my biggest regrets, my only regrets, when I I want to say something and I don't. Yeah. And whatever it yeah. is, it might be like, you know, oh, I like your shirt. <laughs> or it might be like, uh, you hurt my feelings. Yeah, you know, whatever it is. Like there mm -hmm. is something spontaneous and true and of God right. that emerged. Right. And you just sat there and let it go. Yeah. You know, it's like that Morrissey song again, like sing yeah. your life, you know, all the things you love, all the things you loathe. Like yeah. all of that is 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 now. It's happening right now. And if you don't express it, you just you kind of failed yeah. to be true to the moment. Yeah. And so I'm always just increasingly as I get older, because I'm sort of 
more and more regretful of all the times I didn't. I just try to say the thing and it makes life so much richer and funner because every time mm-hmm. you do that, your life force goes up. Yep. Yeah. And every time you don't do it, your life force goes down. Right. Yeah. And it, it makes the, it's like I was saying earlier, it makes the two-way thing work stronger. If you break that down with someone, they'll break it down and it becomes a way more open coming from both directions. Yeah. It, it, I, I find it, it's, it's kind of amazing how willing people are to, to break that down. If you say, oh, I really like your stuff. I really like your shirt. Even it's uh, they'll come right back at you with something it, mm-hmm. and it, it feels good. It it's, it's such an invitation to, to uh, connect with someone more when you just do that. Right. Some people are like, Ooh, I don't know you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but those people I think have some kind of, I have some kind of block that they need to get. Well, over. the stigma around it is that it's not cool or something or like you're not in, or like there's not, People aren't comfortable doing it because it doesn't feel elegant or something. I would say nine times out of ten, people are receptive. No, they no, they certainly yeah, no, are. No, I agree. Yeah, and when they're not, it's because somehow they have an identity, ego thing happening that's it's threatening. Right, and then making them feel bad about themselves, and they're like, I don't, I don't like this feeling you're making me have right now. Right. Do you still feel that you are receptive to people's, you know? you know, praising your work or asking you to do things for you? Like, what's your relationship with people who follow your work and contact you cold or come up to you at a screening? Or like, are you, is that like a, do you, are you, are you still receptive and open to that dialogue? I mean, I, I, I like it. Um, um, I think people often walk away from that encounter feeling like they embarrassed themselves or that I was annoyed. Right. When I wasn't, so I think I do a bad job of making them feel uh, embraced. Right. Uh, I, I'm friends with uh, Allison Anders, the filmmaker, and I once saw her after Q and A. She was so good at not doing that. Right. Mm-hmm. And she would do this thing. She would say, "Oh, thank you." She would take their hand, and she'd say, "What's your name?" And they tell them, and she would like look in their eyes, just say, "Thank you so much." Yeah. And she just like gave them the, their love back. And I was like, wow, I wish I could be that good. She's good at it, yeah. <laughs> well, some people are really great at it. It's almost like that they train themselves. Like, yeah, how are they like so good at it? politician shit, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who else is great is uh, Kirsten Johnson. Mm-hmm. She's so good. And it's authentic. I mean, she's a loving person. She's like, nice. Girl. She's so yeah. nice. Yeah. And she's just like, I don't know. It's like she takes everything to a really high level right away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a hard time letting in love, actually. I, you know, I, I kind of feel like I don't deserve it or something. And I, right. I, I, so I sort of shut down a little bit. Right. So, I mean, I'm trying not to, Yeah. but that's kind of my, my default. Yeah. I think actors can be good at it too. I remember my dad embarrassed me one time and walked up to Ethan Hawke <laughs> and was like talking to him about, it was like before, before midnight or one of those movies. And I was just like, oh my God, this is going to be so embarrassing. Cause I know my, I was like, my dad has nothing interesting to say to him. I was like, he's going <laughs> to, he was just going to, it's going to suck. And Ethan Hawke was like, it was my dad was the only person in the universe in that five <laughs> minutes that they were talking. I was like, holy shit, why is why does why is Ethan Hawke talking to my dad like this? And I was, and he he did seem genuinely interested, but I was like, he is also a pretty good actor. Right. I was like maybe he's, I just I don't know, I'm just suspicious of people being so accepting of of you know people walking up to people cold. It's amazing to me when it happens though, and it is something to aspire to for sure. I was just curious how if if that's changed over time for you or. If, um, yeah, I think I'm just, I'm a little better at it than yeah. I used to be, yeah. but I'm still not great at it. Yeah. But you're still equally kind of interested slash appreciative or. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, lately people often reach out to me and offer to help out on the, on the shows or in the mm-hmm. films. And I must always say, sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, 
I mean, it's, it's like, I don't want to take time away from the work to like get coffee with people. Yeah. But I'm happy to hang out with them in the context of doing of, something of doing yeah. productive. Yeah. Right. So for me, it's like a perfect way of interacting with people and, and getting work done. Do you still do that with like a kind of like a revolving? Yeah. I've got like 20 people right now. Like editing and yeah. yeah. And I got like too many because it's just like, it's hard to slot them all in. Yeah. I mean, that was like my introduction to film editing in a lot of ways was like your house and just like seeing people come, come and go and work on editing. I, I thought that I always thought that was fascinating. Uh-huh. Um, and I was curious. I mean, I think that's, it was also interesting to me because like I did get the sense that like maybe people would give their own takes on edits and things, but ultimately like I felt like you were still probably changing things later. Or you you, like, yeah, you yeah. still had so much control. <laughs> I was like, I don't even really think he's using a lot of this. You know, sometimes I don't agree with something and I'm just like, really? Mm, okay. And then I'll ask someone else, do you think this is, and then if they say, if they say no, I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, I don't think so either. But if they say, yeah, then I'm like, oh, maybe there is a consensus here yeah. right. that I'm not seeing. So it's helpful for me to get, you know, data points. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I personally, I personally love, uh, as many people getting involved with my creative process as I can, even though I still ultimately go with my instinct over anything anyone would ever say to me. I still, I still think I listen and and appreciate and want to hear i'm not like no my way i'm not gonna block i'm gonna block this out i still will probably go with myself but i do genuinely think that there's a lot there's great value in and having other people involved sometimes they'll the simplest things you can't see because you have a different relationship to it yeah yeah for sure did you did you work uh on the earlier films with less people yeah because the show about the show feels so accessible in a way that it, it feels very and like I know you have lots of screenings for people and you, you test it yeah. all the time and I think it's you know I think it's probably like the mass I mean like I love all your movies but it feels like the masterwork in a lot of ways because in a lot of ways because it's kind of balances like accessibility with the search for the transcendent like it, it honesty like it just kind of is a good synthesis of everything yeah it has the most people have worked on that one yeah yeah a lot of a lot of cooks in that kitchen yeah Here's a question that I had, slightly changing the subject here, but Time. no, just, just I have to pick up my son very oh, soon. Okay, but let's do one more. Okay. Um, something that interested me about I don't hate Las Vegas anymore was you seemed to some degree at the end of the film like satisfied with whatever you had found, but you seemed to not have any answers to the kind of questions that you had in the beginning. So, I guess. My question is really, or it's not even a question as much as I would love to hear you talk more about um, how important or not important you find uh, finding answers to things. And is that, should that even be the goal? Is there more to be found in the process? To the Vegas film? Yeah. Uh-huh. Or just in general, but I just it, uh-huh. think it's more, most on display there. Yeah, I guess I don't believe in answers really. I mean, I think there's just like a temporary answer for this moment. Right. And and then the next moment is like a different problem with a different answer. So you're just kind of moving through these shifting questions and shifting answers. Yeah. And I do think the process is is the thing and enjoying that process and 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 and, and listening to what the universe is sort of telling you. Um but that film was sort of like can you trust God to like can you can you surrender the process to God? Mm-hmm. And I, and I think the answer was yeah, you can. And the film felt to me like a demonstration of that right. thing. And it wasn't 
that's what you thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the question was, was it going to work? Like, was it going to be not boring? And I think it wasn't boring. Right. And so in that sense, you know, God did his or her thing. And right. there's the double exposure moment where it feels like God's here. Right. Although it felt at first like it was the devil. Right. <laughs> which is always what it is. It's always like, I think this is the devil. And I like, nope, it's God. Right. Yeah. Because that's kind of what I got from that film was that, yes, questions are worth asking, but not to find the answer. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I mean, if anybody said they had the answer, I would, you know, I think I'd run screaming. Yeah. Yeah. Only gurus have the answer. And yeah. They're not real answers. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you're a great question. You're, you're a great questionnaire. Like you ask great questions and I think you open up the possibility of the idea of an answer for people who watch your stuff. Like I feel relief after I watch yeah. your movies for some reason. And I think everybody else does too. Yeah, I agree. That's why I said, that's why I used the word warm earlier. Actually, an anecdote I always think about is our mutual friend, Sam Stillman, told me that he watched all of your films in one go, standing up. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, which I think about. Which I believe. Which I 100% believe. <laughs> And I think is, is actually, I think, you know, besides Sam being Sam, there's actually something really interesting there uh-huh. because I don't think most filmmakers, you could watch all of their films standing up. He's probably jumping up and down, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think he just maybe didn't have a chair in the room. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, we'll let you go. If you're okay, yeah, I should yeah. run. Yeah. I've got a parking Thank you for doing this, Kave. Kave's yeah. got po- is, do you have something, is there something new in the works that we can... I made a film this summer in London. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, Can't say anything about it, but uh, I, I'm not sure what the title is right now. The title is "The Trees Were Spelling Love Backwards," um, and I um, I have a, I wrote a book, mm-hmm. which is coming out. Wow! Uh, they're currently asking me to cut a bunch of it out, so I'm just grappling with with those those censorship demands. All right. Um, and uh, uh, that's that's all I got, really. All right. And the show about the show, well, you can watch it. You can watch the existing seasons if you haven't already. We encourage everyone listening to watch. And we'd love to help you find a, a yes. place to if you land the think of anything. Three. Yeah, yeah. We're, we, we're both. I mean, you know that he's a huge show about the show fan, but I, I'm a huge show about the show fan. So yeah, if there's anything we could do, we've got we've got some connections. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you think of anything, I, I just can't think of who would be the right home for it. At the what's moment. your yeah, What's your dream? I mean, I don't know, Netflix? Netflix yeah. <laughs> HBO. HBO, Netflix, yeah. the usual suspects. Yeah. Um, but it'd be nice, some like brand new, cool, yeah. Yeah. controversial, yeah. not, uh, you know. We'll start, we'll start a streaming service. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm actually serious. Yeah. That's the next step. <laughs> well, Kave, thank you for doing this. Thank really you. Yes, it was thank really you. nice talking to you guys. Yeah, you too. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> And that was Kave Zahedi, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between. And that was an episode from 2021. Kave's come a long way since then. We've come a long way since then. We've done more with him since then. But I think it's an important episode. And if you're just hearing us for the first time, now you know what it's like. But I'm excited for you, because there's way more where that came from. You can start down this road with us, and you can do just that by going to patreon.com slash the ion pack. 
patreon.com slash the Pack. five dollars a month gets you episodes like this all the time and videos and everything else so if you enjoyed it help support the show patreon.com slash the Pack. you already know patreon <laughs>